I can just imagine if those of us that are fans have such a hard time, what will, what will be happening with those players? Especially Julio Jones. Who played one of the most incredible games of a, of a lifetime. A nice history. And then on the other end of that spectrum, I would not want to be Matt Ryan's children. That has to, they have to be the butt of every joke in every school. Kai. Hallelujah. Maybe Lee should have preached this morning. <laughs> Joshua chapter 5. Beginning from verse 13, I'm just going to pick up from where I left last week. Uh, let me just read the scripture and I'll give you a very, very brief, very, very brief overview. And then we're going to just move on today. So last week we began to speak on the title of Jesus being the captain of our salvation. Jesus, the captain of our salvation. John chap Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversary? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter 6. Now Jericho was securely shut up. Because of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of Valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. The seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. And so again, for the highlights here, we see Joshua preparing to take Jericho. This is the very first battle in order for them to possess the promised land. And for you and I, the promised land is not heaven. The promised land for us is the place of spiritual victory that Jesus has obtained for us. So we can learn a lot this morning from how Joshua possessed that promised land to how you and I can come into possession of whatever it is that God has obtained for us. Amen? So Joshua, in preparing for this battle, lifted up his eyes. Lifting up of eyes indicates that you understand that your help does not come from yourself. It comes from without yourself. It comes from outside of you. Psalms 121, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord, 
the maker of heaven and earth. So he lifted up his eyes with expectation. He's looking for help. He realizes he's never been in such a battle that he was about to get into. And many of us, right now, you are looking for things, you are in a situation for which the truth of the matter is, no matter how prepared you are, you are no match for the enemy. And you recognize that. You recognize that what you are about to embark upon is bigger than you. So that's enough for, to, to, to make you say, you know what, God, I'm going to need you. I'm going to need your involvement. Okay, so that's what Joshua was doing here. So in doing so, in lifting up his eyes, he saw a man with a sword drawn. And he asked the person, hey, listen, are you for us or for our adversary? And of course, the answer was no. I'm from neither one. And so immediately, because the person identified himself as the captain or commander of the Lord's army or the host of the Lord, Joshua recognizes that a way that he's dealing with someone that's supernatural, that's beyond him, and he needs this person's involvement. And so the Bible says, the man told him, take off your shoes, for the ground in which you are standing is holy. And immediately that connected Joshua back to Moses. Because Moses was the last one to whom that kind of instruction was given. So he knew right away that the person that was with Moses is the person that's talking to him, who is God. So he worshipped. Amen? Amen? Now, we further read that this person, who is Jesus really, is the captain of the Lord's army, is the captain of the Lord's host. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He began to give Joshua a set of instructions. Number one, the priests were to follow the Ark of the Covenant. The people were to march once for six days around Jericho. Three, that they were not to, uh, to shout, to talk. We probably have not read that far yet in, in, the, in this material. And that on the seventh day, they were to march around that place seven times. And that they were to blow ram's horns. This is the long and short of the story. Everything in the instruction or strategy that it was given was contrary to what Joshua knew. To be true. The priests were never to go to war. The Ark of the Covenant was never to leave the tabernacle. In fact, it was never to be seen with naked eyes. Unless you were the high priest. Okay? They were never to blow ram's horns for battle. God gave instruction, Numbers chapter 10, that they were only to use silver, two silver trumpets to call for battle. And last and not the least, the most critical, the most must have been the most perplexing of all these instructions that these Jewish people were to march around Jericho seven times on the seventh day on the Sabbath. That was a no-go. Joshua knew that. He was there when the law was given. He understood what God said about the Sabbath day. So this instruction and strategy he was receiving was totally contrary to his head. Now, the takeaway for you and I is when God is giving you specific rema concerning your life, concerning a plan, concerning something you are about to do, you must be careful not to put God in a box to think he can go outside of your box. Yes. Now, God was not contravening himself. Let me add that very quickly. He was not violating his own word. 
The only reason he did that in Joshua's day is because Jesus himself is the priest. Jesus is the ram's horn. He's the substitution. Jesus himself told me and you, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So everything he told Joshua to do, he was telling him to do that because when Jesus shows up in your situation, the fulfillment of the law is done. Christ is the end of the law. Romans 10, 4. He has fulfilled all of the law. So everything it seemed like he was violating under the law was because he, Jesus, was the fullness and the complete representation of the law. Do you understand that? That is hugely important. Now, Joshua did not have that privilege. He did not understand that. You and I today, studying backwards, can understand types and shadows and symbols. Joshua did not have that privilege. So for him, it was perplexing. And the takeaway for us is we must get to that point where God can override what what we think we know. We need to get to the point where we don't allow our head to become a hindrance or an impedance to following God's instruction. Because for many of us, what we know in the natural becomes a problem. When God is speaking, you say, no way, I know this. Two plus three is four. How can two plus three be six? My friend, God's mathematics is different from what you study in elementary school coach. God does not add, he multiplies. He's a God of multiplication. Amen? I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. One example, and I need to move on. Jesus was hiring people. He found a guy early in the morning, he hired him. He found a guy at three hours later, he hired him. He found a guy at noon, he hired him. He found a guy at the end of the day, he hired him. Three or four different hires. And he promised them all wages. At the end of the day, it's time to pay. Abba, the guy that worked all day had an expectation. I worked a whole eight hours. Surely, my pay should be higher than uh, Greg, who just came in at, at 30 minutes of close time. All right. How did they pay them? He paid them all the same. Figure it out. Greg only worked for 30 minutes, got the exact same pay as Lola who worked eight hours. In today's time, we have to issue an executive order, investigation. <laughs> Congressional hearing. How can this man who worked for 30 minutes only get the same pay as the woman that worked for eight hours? That's sexism. Right. You pay the man more than the woman. It's trouble. Right. Tell Jesus that. His mathematics is totally different. And therefore, we must understand whom we're dealing with. Amen? So that's where we were last week. Now, moving forward to this this message. Four things I want to show us quickly about this strategy. Because everything that God wants to do for you and I, you and I must understand where we start. The starting point is asking him. Ask and you receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Listen, no matter how much you think you know, no matter how trivial the situation is, I'm asking you to gain the habit of always asking God, God, what would you have me do or say in this situation? Ask him. And then when you've asked him, wait for a response. Because God is only obligated to honor his word, not your thoughts. Is only obligated 
to honor what he has said to you, not what you are thinking, not your sentiment, not how you feel. Feelings don't move God. What moves him is his word. He spoke the word into existence and everything was created. So it's always important. And when we ask him, then we can take his word back to him. Father, this is what you said. I'm standing upon your word. So Joshua said to God in Joshua chapter 5, what does my Lord say to his servant? So now the instruction that was given or the strategy is the response to the question that was asked. So the question for me and you is, when was the last time we asked God about the situation? About our wives, our husbands, our children, our jobs, our businesses. When do we ask him? Or do we just bring a plan and say, God, bless it? It's the other way around. It's not going to bless my mess, but it can turn my mess into a blessing. Amen. I have to ask him. Father, I find myself in this jam. What is your wisdom in getting out of it? He has a plan. He has a plan. So now, number one, he told Joshua to get all the Israelites, as we've read already, and march around Jericho once a day for six days. Now, in order for you to appreciate what God is saying to them, first of all, you need to know what Jericho is. Jericho is a fortress. And the walls are not those flimsy fences you see around houses. These around here. No, 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 no. The walls of Jericho is exactly what it says. It's like the wall we are planning to build in the southern border of the United States. <laughs> By executive order. I love this season, man. We have, there's so much to laugh about. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's the kind of walls we're talking about here. Huge walls. Very, very fortified. Walls are containment. When you build a wall around something, the message is stay out. And so for me and you, there are many blessings and promises of God that the enemy has built walls around. You can't even perceive them because the walls keep you from seeing what's in it. So Jericho represents something good for you that has been contained, that has been totally, completely concealed so you cannot penetrate to see it. Talk less of having it. The Bible says in that Joshua chapter 6 verse 1 that it's so secured, nothing can come in or come out. That's how secure it is. It's almost like a penitentiary. You know there are prisoners inside but you can't see them. Only, only, only that here they have barbed wires. You can still see buildings. No, no, no. These are walls. That's number one. Number two, think of how much walking that will take. To walk around the walls of Jericho once a day. That's a whole city. Okay? You don't know where Jericho is. You don't know anything about Jericho. Think of Lawrenceville. 
How about if we all live right now and go outside and walk around Lawrenceville once? How many of us will survive it without an ambulance? So God says, do this once for the next six days. So just picture in your mind's eyes. This group of people, they were not trained. They've never been to any seminar. They don't really know who God is other than Moses and some leaders say, go left, go right. And now, they are there marching. And looking at a thick wall where they have no, I mean, what, what, what are we doing? So they do, they do it day one. Day two, Joshua said, okay, we're going to do it again tomorrow. What? Day three, they did it again. Why did God make them go through that? Because when you read Joshua chapter 5 in verse 1, we are already told that the people inside the city are shaking with fear. They already believe that they were already defeated. They know that God was coming to take them out. They already know that. They were waiting for their own defeat. And yet God says, even though the victory is imminent, we just sang a song about God, Jesus being the victory. The victory is imminent. Your victory is not a question. Your victory is already secured. Nothing can tamper with the victory that God has already obtained for you. Amen. The only one that can tamper with that is you. Amen. Amen. So, in spite of the fact that the victory was secured, why did God require for them to march? Why could they not just go in, they cross Gilgal, just go in, open the door, and just take it? Because God wanted them to recognize that apart from him, they are doomed. Hear me? God needed them to assess themselves. As they marched and they're looking at these walls, I don't know how long it took them. They are saying to myself, oh my God. <laughs> Man, are, we, are, are you kidding me? Are we really going to be able to penetrate this place? This is, this is almost absolutely impossible. If it's not this God and Joshua, and this, we're wasting our time. God wanted them to come to the end of themselves to recognize that, listen, on our own, by ourselves, we are not going to be able. That is something you and I don't take into consideration. You wake up in the morning, tomorrow you're going to wake up and go to your job. And you're going to think that you earned the job. You're going to think the job is a right for you. Especially our younger people. They have an, what I can call, entitlement mentality. Hello? I come home, I open the refrigerator, there better be milk. There better be conflicts or cereals or whatever they're eating these days in the pantry. And if there's none, they're going to ask me, ah, what happened? Where's the uh, raisin bran or whatever it is they're eating these days? It's an entitlement. It, it better be there. And listen, I ate uh, baked beans and uh, uh, bacon yesterday. Tomorrow it has to be something. I mean, come on. We must change the menu every day. 
Every day the menu must change. How you make the money, they don't know. What you do at work, they don't know. You ask them, uh, uh, any question you ask them, they have no idea. But they expect everything to be on time. And you know where they got it from? From you. Because you were happy when I was talking about them. Well, then we flipped the coin. You see, you never taught them about how to understand how things happen. So when you're going to work, they think you are entitled to it. And therefore, they also have an entitlement mentality. When you interviewed for that job, you didn't sit them down and say, you know what? God is helping me in this interview. And when you got the job to help them know, you know what? There were 19 of us that competed for this job, but God, by his mercy, selected me and gave me the job. It is God that's putting the food on the table every day. We make them feel that we are so special. We are better than the next person. And therefore, that's why we got the job. No. So God wanted Israel to take good note. These walls, (laughs) look at them very well. How high they are, how wide it is, how thick it is. Understand that where I'm taking you by yourself, of yourself, and in yourself, you are nothing. You can't do jack about it. They had six or seven whole days for that to sink into them. Not that God is not able, but God wants them to understand what he's about, about to give them. You see, if you don't appreciate God, when he finally puts the thing in your hand, you will not appreciate it. So I think I went to school. I got a degree. I got a great job. Man, Greg, I studied so hard for that thing. Correct. You are the only one. If you see how I bleed the guy away at the interview, yes. come on. The guy thought I am good. I mean, I didn't go to Harvard, but he thought I went to Oxford and Cambridge. <laughs> so when you take credit for what happened, when the income comes to your hand, you also take credit for it. There you go. Woo. But if you appreciate that it is God that did it. When you get a paycheck, even though it's in dollar bills, you are seeing God all through it. So God wanted them to have full assessment and come to the end of themselves and say, you know what? This is going to be all God. That's number one. So that's why God ordered seven days. Six days once a day. On the seventh day, seven times. So that they will be totally, completely weakened. Just when they are panting and grasping for breath and say, ah, we can't survive any longer. This is too much. The, the, everything about their flesh is gone. Gone. They're barely just now. <laughs> By the third time they're walking around, they, they need a wheelchair. Whoever was in wheelchair business, that day would have made a lot of money. <laughs> totally, completely worn out. Weak. They can't fight now because they are weak. Sometimes, can we go around this building sometimes? Maybe only coach will make it because he's a, he walks out every day. And Larry and, Pastor, and, 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 and maybe uh, Frank Aseboa. The rest of us, we need somebody to carry, us, carry them on our, on, our back, on our backs. Seven times. Just when they were weak and tired and good enough, God said, now. Because when you're weak, then I'm strong. In your time of weakness, that's when my grace can be perfected. 
The reason we have not seen the breakthrough we're asking for, you're too strong. You're too strong-minded, strong-handed. Everything about you is still speaking strength. Do you know who I am? Oh, yeah, we know. You're a man of the flesh. Do you know where I was brought from? Ah, yes, we know where you're brought from. Yeah. Trump Towers. We know. We know. So God wanted to wear them out. Because in their weakness, then God's grace can be perfected. They cannot say they did it. Anytime you can still lay claim that it's your victory, God is not involved. He wants it to be glaringly, conspicuously, obviously clear that it cannot be you. And when you read the accounts of those guys in Joshua chapter 5 verse 1, they all gave the credit that it was God that brought them this far. So number one, God wanted a full assessment to let them know that against the enemy, they are weak. And that they are only mighty through God. Through God. And you and I must always live on a daily basis with the recognition, recognition that we are mighty through God. Amen. We are mighty, but through God. Yes. Always. always. Number two. Number two. And this is huge. Why did God not just let them march for two days? That would have been good. One day even is enough for them to know that, man, we can't do this. What's the point, God? Why? Why march six, seven days? Because they needed to understand a principle of God called patience. Patience. Let me go to Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 12. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, and Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15. Let's read a few scriptures. Hebrews 6, 12. Hebrews 6, 15. Hebrews 10, 36. There are so many scriptures, but let me just pick Hebrews. That you do not become sluggish, but that you imitate those who through faith and what? Ah. You see, we major on faith and we shield. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But it's not just faith alone. Through faith and patience, you inherit what? The promises. Huge. Go with much around one time. Come on, let's do it now. No. No. Because you need to understand the principle. It's called patience. Verse 15. Same chapter, verse 15. And so, after he had patiently endured, yes. he obtained the promise. Patient endurance. He obtained the promise. You see, many of us have faith, but we lack patience. In fact, let me, let, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. We don't lack patience. We don't exercise it. Because you have it. And I'm going to show it to you in a minute. Okay? So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So for six days, really seven days, for seven days, they were right there. The thing belonged to them. God has promised it. They know it's theirs. God, why do I have to wait seven days? Why should I wait till next week when I can get it now? Why? 
It's already mine. You promised it. You're not going to take your promise back. I know you won't take it back. So why can't I have it now? Because you need to be like me, bank. You need to be like me. Back in Genesis, I knew man was doomed. But it will take another 4,000 years before I manifest your deliverance. Hi, God is a patient God. I patiently endured for 4,000 years, putting everything in place to prepare you to prepare the place in order to bring the manifestation of your deliverance. Because the Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, that when the fullness of the time was come, not before. So God is not asking me to be or do something that he is not. He himself, the Bible says, well, the Bible don't have to say it. The, actually, I'll show you the scripture in a minute that that's going to say it. God himself is patient. He's patient. And remember, you were created in his image and likeness. Oh, it's quiet here. Because this patient element, we don't like it. Listen, Revelation will tell you. She's right. When I put a document in her hand, I want it done yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. Absolutely. I mean, come on, man. Coach knows that she walked in the office. I want it yesterday. What are you doing? Get it done yesterday. Roll the clock back and let's get it done yesterday. It is tough. Give me Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36. Because we learn this, our promised land will be a lot easier to attain. Thank you. For you have need of endurance, the same thing as patience. And it's because it's patient. For you have need of patience or endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. There's no receiving without patience. Many of us have faith this is the element that's been missing. And there's a reason for which God wants you to have patience. It's not just for you alone. We're going to say that in a minute. There's a reason. So now, let's take a minute to define this word patience. What does it mean to be patient? What does it mean to be patient? Does it just mean to just wait? So you go to the grocery store. There's a queue ahead of you. First five minutes, you're fine. They'll be done in a minute. I'll be on my way out. Five minutes turns to ten. Ten turns to fifteen. Because IBK is bringing out all these coupons and they're trying to make a deal. <laughs> it gives them one bag of coupons. And then it reaches for another bag of coupons. So 15 minutes turns 30 minutes. While it was five and ten minutes, you had no problem. But when it's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you are still in that same queue. All of a sudden, anger begins to rise up. <laughs> you begin to complain. You begin to murmur. Because of the Holy Ghost, you can't really curse him, but you, you don't wish him well. <laughs> you see, patience is not just the element of waiting. No. Patience deal with what is your, the constancy of your heart while you're waiting. That's the issue God is after. 
What is your disposition in a waiting time? So I'm at the queue. I can't do anything about IBK and hurry him up. He, he has determined he will spend all his coupons. I can't do anything about that. But what I can do is cuss him out. This stupid man. What is it? Why is he taking him so long? Why does he have to come today? Does he not know I have to go and watch the Super Bowl? Does he not know I have to go and issue an executive order? In fact, I'm going to tweet about this one. So I go from being patient to becoming angry to having a defiled attitude. At that point, I'm no longer patient. Patience has to do. What is the disposition of your heart while you're waiting? Huge. For you have need of patience. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. In other words, you cannot have a bad attitude while you're waiting and expect the promise. That's the issue. Many of us start well. We begin well. We just don't end well. This patience thing get us. There are so many scriptures, so many of them. Really, in, because this is a very critical point for all of us, let me read a few more of them. Go back, go to James chapter 1. Yeah, let me just spend some time on this because this is important. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. James chapter 1. Thank you there. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let what? Patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Be constant. Be consistent. Let your attitude remain good while you are waiting. Why? Because through the waiting process and through that capacity to be constant, God is working something in you. You see, it takes faith. It really takes faith, believing God, to remain constant while you're waiting. You're waiting. You did a job interview. And they said they're going to call you in, in, a, in a couple of weeks. Whew. Those couple of weeks, can be, it, it can feel like one day or one year. Day one, no phone call. Day two, no phone call. Day three, no phone call. Day four, no phone call. You're still fine. And then your friend asks you, have they called you yet? You say no. Ah. Your friend who means well could be an agent of the devil. Because the way they ask the question, ah, they've not called you yet? <laughs> hey, I don't know. <laughs> Immediately, if you buy that bet, you move from patience to murmuring. And immediately you begin to murmur. You've killed your patient. You've killed the seed of patience is out of the ground. You are no longer perfect. Entire lacking one thing. Huge. So you have to put your blinders on. The people you are talking to while you are waiting must be people that believe in like manner. While you are waiting, you can't be talking to every Jack, Tom, Tom, Dick, and Harry. You don't know where they are. You don't know what they are saying. You don't know what they are listening to. They throw things at you that's contrary to your waiting disposition and if you're not careful, you veer off. You're off track. 
you're going to have to start all over again. Because you are going nowhere until you're perfect, entire, and lacking nothing. Yes. Give him one more. James chapter 5. This will nail it for you. Give this to me, James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, in a message translation. Watch this. Message translation. Ah, ah, you guys are working very hard today. You are, you are very patient. God is helping you already. Ah, okay, good, okay. Meanwhile, this is Pastor Shina talking to all of you guys. This is his translation. Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. You see farmers do this all the time. Waiting for their valuable crops to mature. Have you ever seen a farmer who plants a seed of corn and every day go to the ground, talk to the ground, Come on, corn. When are you going to come out? They don't. If a farmer is doing that, you won't buy that. You, you run away from the farmer. They plant it and they have an expect, I mean, rather, they have a, they have a confident expectation that what they planted will grow in its time and season. You see, farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain. Do it slow, but sure work. Amen. Amen. They don't fret over the rain. They don't try to command the rain and rain. Come on. They understand that those elements are outside of their control. They do what they know to do, and they let God do what only God can do. Verse, next verse. Be patient like that. Stay steady. There you go, constancy. You see that? Stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. Verse 11, I believe. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You have heard, of course, of Job's staying power. And you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares cares right down to the last detail. Amen? So number one, you assess the fact that without God, it's impossible. Whatever it is that you need God in that situation, that's number one. Number two, patience. Patience. After you've done your part, allow God to do his part. And while you are being patient, the key in patience is, impatient rather, is just remaining constant. Don't fret. Don't be, in, uh, don't be in anxiety. Don't worry. Don't curse. Don't murmur. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Just wait. Wait a minute. I know God is going to do it. It may happen one day. It may happen one month. It may happen one year. But I trust him. He is not going to value his word. He will fulfill it. I'm waiting patiently. Amen? Amen? Number three. Let me go to Joshua chapter six and read this. Uh... Joshua chapter 6 verse 10. Joshua chapter 6 verse 10. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. Wow. Think about this. I don't know how many millions of people this were that's marching around. Once 
every day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. And yet, the instruction is keep your mouth shut. Nobody asks the question, why? Why should we keep our mouth shut? This generation, you have to give me a reason. <laughs> instruction is not enough. Why? What? When? How long? What's the message to us here? Number one, remember number one again, assessing to, and acknowledging that God is in control. He's the only one that can help us. Number two, patience. Number three, the, question, the issue here is discipline. Discipline. God has given a direction. We must be disciplined to follow his instruction. Discipline. I mean, when Google is working, remember I said when? When. Because it's taking me some directions that it wasn't working. But when Google Map is working, and it tells you to make a left, make a right, make a, why? It's taking to a destination. He yes, knows where it's going, and it's taking you there. So you follow the instruction, you're going to get there. But if you choose, and they tell me, I say, well, you know what, I just don't like it, I'm just going to, instead of making left, I'm going to make a right. Well, you can make it, you have the choice. But you now end up where you need to be. So God is saying to you and I, listen, I know where you're going. Remember, in Numbers chapter 10, the Bible says the ark went on a three-day journey to find a resting place for them. They've never been this way before. You have never been where God is taking you before. The promotion God has for you, you've never been there before. The blessings he has for you, you've never been there before. The blessings he wants to bring into your life, you have never been there before. God is ahead of you and I. He knows not only how to get there, he also knows what we must do to get there. And so it's asking us, follow my instruction. In Exodus 25 through Exodus 40, many, many, many times, over 30 times, God repeated to Moses, this tabernacle you're building, you must build it according to the pattern of what's shown you in the mountain. Specifically, over and over, I, I, I used to wonder, God, ah, ah, is Moses deaf? How many times do you have to repeat that phrase? Build it according to what I showed you. No deviation, no imagination of yours. You can't say, you know what? Purple color is hard to find with substitute for viola or violet or for blue. No. You have to build it according to pattern. On and on and on and on he told him that over 30 times. On one project. Why? Because he knows the mind and the imagination of man. Yes. How we are so easy to tamper with divine instructions. And in this case, he said to them, no noise. No shouting. No talking. Just march. Folks, it cannot be easy. We don't know how long it took them to do so. But they followed that instruction to the T. Because you see, God only guarantees success when we follow him. Yes. Yes. Success is not guaranteed when you follow yourself. 
It's only guaranteed when you follow him. Discipline. Discipline. And we have that in us already. We just need to exercise it. Just like patience. When you are born again, God gave you patience. Even though many of us, don't, we, we don't, we don't, we've not discovered it. We don't know it's there. You say, what? Patience? <laughs> Even for me, standing here. Because I always wanted yesterday. But in Galatians 5.22, he said it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering. That word long-suffering is the same word as patience. So when you are born again, you got the package. You have it. So it's up to you and I to call on the Holy Spirit within us to help us to use what we got. And the same thing with discipline. We have it. The same thing, exact same way. In that same verse, the Bible says it gives us self-control. Self-control. What is self-control? Discipline. You've got it. You see, our problem is we only think of self-control as negative. I will not commit adultery. I will not steal. All of that is self-control. But you forget that self-control also should help you make right choices. I will obey God. I will follow God. I will obey instructions. Self-control. Self-control. You have it in you already. We just don't use it. Lastly, and number four. So number one, it helps. This story helps us to see that we need God. Number two, we are learning patience in God. Number three, the element of discipline. And number four, and this is very, very big, very, very big. You see, God's strategy in preparing Israel to conquer Jericho was also the strategy to be witness to those in Jericho. Not only was God preparing Israel to enter and possess their possession, can you imagine those people in Jericho? Day one, they saw this multitudes of people marching around their walls. Day two, they saw it again. Day three, by now they moment, what's going on? Who are these people? Walking quietly, marching around, no talking, no more money, nothing. They just marched, they carried some piece of furniture that don't make any sense. Just marching, blowing, blowing trumpet and just marching. What kind of, is this not a band? What, what are these people? For six, for seven days. So their response to God became a witness to the people of Jericho. In the same way as your response today is a witness to those around you. How you and I respond to whatever God is saying to us and doing in us and doing through us becomes a witness that your friends, your family, your co-workers cannot ignore. They will have to ask you the question, why are you doing this? Why are you waiting? Why are you not complaining? Why are you not filing a lawsuit? Why are you not murmuring? Why are you not suing them? On and on and on the question goes and then it gives you a chance for a testimony. Because those that believe God will never be put to shame. So you can tell them boldly that you've trusted in God and God is on your side and God will vindicate you in due time. Opportunity for witness. Folks, you need to remember that's the bottom line of everything God does. He wants to be a witness to those around you, those in your city, those in your community, those in the nations of the world. He wants the world to know that he is the great 
an awesome God. Yes. So God blesses you. Is it just for you? No. He's blessed you through you so the world will know that God is a blessing business. So God heals you. Is it just for you? No. Yes, you get healing in your body. But so the world may know there's a God in the church, in the earth. Remember that. The bottom line of everything God says and does to us is to be a witness unto his great name. And that in itself should be a motivation for you and I to follow God because through it, we will get the honor and the glory from it. David was a great example. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, he told, he told the Philistine, the Goliath, he said, today I will so deal with you so that the rest of the world will know there's a God in Israel. Amen. What about that? Don't boast in yourself, boast in your God. Amen. Let your world know there's a God who's on your side, who's keeping you, who's blessing you, who's prospering you. Who has favored you? Let the world know. And really, folks, if we ever let the world know, this place and all the other churches in the world will be filled. Our problem is we are not sharing it. We are not. Amen? So are you going to possess your promised land? Did you get keys that will help you possess your promised land? Are you coming to the recognition that you can't do it, that God has to do it? Because the truth is, if you could do it, you would have done it. Let's trust our faith. Designed to live and make it apart from God. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. So why are we trying to go it alone? And I know you will say to me this morning or this afternoon, say, Pastor, I'm not trying to go it alone. Really? How about your actions? And when I say your actions, I mean how well do you acknowledge God in every situation? Let's ask God today to help me and you to be ever reminded of how much we need him. Even in those situations that you think you have the answer, the answer you may think you have may not be the right one for that situation. And the fact that your answer worked yesterday, today's a new day. That's why he gave them fresh manna every day. So they don't get used to the same method. And when we get this right, let me just say this to you from the pulpit. When we get this right, even every Sunday will be different. It will be different. Because God is a moving God. We may come in and do the word first and do praise later. We may come in and pray and, do, and not do anything else. Whatever God wants, whatever strategy is given us for that day, that week, that's what we need to follow. We must be open to that. If we are men and women of the Spirit. Ah, Father, help us. Help us, Lord Jesus. You're more